we truly believe that all things become new in the presence of the Lord. Really, that's the subject of my message today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've been talking about transformed. All these messages between Passover and Pentecost are about that first chapter of Acts and different parts of it as we look toward what is going to happen on the day of Pentecost with the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Today I'm in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5, and then we're going to talk about baptism, the transformation that happens when you are in His presence in a palpable way, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, in your family, in all your relationships, in the presence of the Lord. There's an answer here for how to behave in a different way, or how to live life in a different way, to how how to have family in a different way, how to go to school or work in a different way. There's a transformation here that can occur. It is deep, it is abiding, and it is profound. The Scripture says in Acts 1, 4, and 5, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, that is, Jesus, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is quoting John the Baptist who in each of the four Gospels says as he talks about Jesus, I baptize with water, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Apart from these five quotes, the four by John the Baptist and the one here by Jesus as he quotes John the Baptist, the baptism of the Spirit is mentioned once in the New Testament. It was read at St. Louis Cathedral on Monday. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, at the request of Archbishop Iman, they read the text that says, the Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. And that baptism of the Spirit is the only other reference to spirit baptism in the New Testament, explicit reference. And so we have the four in the Gospels and the one here. The idea is that you are plunged, that you are immersed, that you are dunked into the Holy Spirit, that Jesus plunges you into the Holy Spirit. The Spirit. Carrie does not believe that humans have souls. He sat down at a bar one day beside a stranger and discovered the stranger did not believe that humans had souls, that is, eternal spirits, is how they were using the word. So Carey entered into a barter with the stranger, and he bought his soul for $20. It was a joke. It was funny. They were both secularists. Neither of them believed in souls. Carrie bought the man's soul for 
I wonder if Carrie woke up this morning, this Mother's Day. I don't know who he is or anything about him. But I wonder if he woke up thinking about the soul. I'll bet it is more on his mind than it's ever been. There may even be moments when Carrie says to himself, what was I thinking? 20 bucks for a soul? What does that say about me? I know he has such contemplations because everybody on the planet does. We all think about it because we know for certain, though we cannot articulate it, that we are more than the sum of our parts. That the word mind is bigger than brain. Three pounds of gray matter you got in your skull. That there's something about a human that transcends his chemistry. And you can't put it in a logarithm, but you just know it's there. The fact that you woke up this morning on this Mother's Day and you were conscious of your existence and capable of abstract thought makes you exponentially more complex than, say, a mouse. Even though, geneticists say, that your DNA is 96% the same as a mouse, you know the difference between you and a mouse is glacial, not microscopic. There's something about you that transcends the sum of your cells, and you know it. When the Bible gives us the great command, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's the Greek word cardia. In Hebrew, it's leb. It's used over 600 times in your Hebrew Bible. It is the primary word for the inner man in Hebrew thought and language. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's the Greek word psyche. With all your mind, dianoia. That's the word noose. With all your strength is even a word that transcends muscular strength or bone strength and goes to the inner you, to your abilities and your comprehensions. In other words, you're to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and all of these words point to a reality beyond the sum of your parts. You have John the Baptist. He's the Duck Dynasty hero of the first century. He comes out of the wilderness dressed in camel's hair for heaven's sakes. He eats locusts, mind you, and wild honey. He's a wild man. And he is the common man's hero because he pulls no punches and he's no respecter of persons and he has the courage to speak the truth. And John the Baptist is in the business. 
The scripture says, being full of the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, he is in the business of peeling off all the artificial layers of life that we think constitute what life is about. He just peels them all off to get to the core, the core reality, the real you, what life is really about. And his message is, he comes in from the wilderness with no trappings except these strange qualities of character. And he comes in to say, repent, because you've gone the wrong direction, you've done the wrong thing, you've focused on the wrong stuff, and it's stealing your life away. And when people repent, he takes them and he plunges them into the water. He baptizes them. He's John the Baptist. He sees things in black and white, what's right and wrong. He hails to the first century like Moses the lawgiver did to centuries before him, and the prophets did after that. The soldiers say, we want to repent, what shall we do? And John says, give an honest day's work for your pay. The tax collectors come, and they're baptized, and they say, what shall we do in our repentance? And he says, don't steal from people. Be honest and do proper calculations. When the intelligentsia and the politically elite of the day come, he says, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He dies as a martyr, as you would expect. Treating the powerful that way, talking right into their face, he challenges the king, and the king takes off his head. Some people think that banquet where Herodias asked for the head of John the Baptist was the great banquet hall in the Herodian constructed by Herod the Great and that this is where John died. I have stood in the ruins of that banquet hall in the Herodian overlooking the fields of Bethlehem and I thought about John the Baptist incarcerated in that hill all catacombed with tunnels and stairwells and caves and then brought up to the banquet hall, made fun of, and finally executed. You have John, who in the most dramatic way possible says, life is not about these exterior things. I saw a sign on my way here today, as I do most days, it says, why luxury? And the answer is, simply because they're worth it. Well, who can dispute that, particularly on Mother's Day, right? They are worth it. And they're worth infinitely more. And if I were to attempt to communicate to my wife her actual worth in material possessions, 
I would miserably fail because she is of infinite worth. I might even find that I am distracting myself from the true gifts I could give her, which are not really the things you hold in your hand so much as the things you hold in your heart. John draws us toward what's real, how life really is. You've got John and you have water. Water's important. I arrived here this morning and Tom Kemp sat down in the back and I went to shake his hand and we got to chatting just a little bit and he told me about the well they had when he was a boy. He didn't know anything about what I was going to say this morning. He said the well we had at our house was 17 feet deep and it went dry every summer. And he said after it went dry, me and my brother had the job of going down to another well and filling up a wash tub and, tub and five-gallon buckets and bringing those back to the house. He said it was hard work, and sometimes that wash tub was nearly empty when we got back to the house. He said, my father finally dug a 120-foot well so we could have water all year around. And anybody who's lived in the country like I have knows how important the well is. Our water got dirty when I was a sophomore in high school, and we didn't know why till we went down to the well. It was an open mouth well lined with rocks about 40 feet deep in a pecan bottom in central Texas. We looked down there, and we could just barely see in the dimness of the bottom of that well that there was a snake that was stirring up the water down in that well. Think about drinking that. Yikes! Dad asked the locals, what shall I do? They said, a gallon of bleach will do it. He poured a gallon of bleach into the well. I don't know what happened to the snake, and I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Out of my mind. But I tell you this, when you turn on the faucet at the house, the water was crystal clear after he poured that gallon of bleach in there. Do you know that Jerusalem gets 22 inches of rain a year. Jerusalem's about 60, 70 miles from the Jordan River. May not be that far where it goes through by Jericho. Probably not that far. It's a pretty dry climb, about like central Texas where I lived as a boy. The Jordan River comes through there and it comes down from the Sea of Galilee which is 14 miles long, 7 miles wide and contains one-third of all the fresh water in the nation of Israel. They actually have turned the desert into a garden with water from the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee. Every day the government monitors the level of the water in the Sea of Galilee. It's that important. You can go to the website and see where the water in the Sea of Galilee is. It's that important in a dry land. If you go to Jericho, you'll be astonished how dry it is. Do you know at Masada, they get about three inches of rain a year there at the Dead Sea where nothing grows, the water's dead, the shoreline's dead. You just look at it and think, my, what a wasteland. <laughs> of course, they're mining great and important minerals right out of the Dead Sea. On the top of Masada, Herod the Great built pools 
swimming pools. And they brought the water up from down below and they captured it in their cisterns and they filled up those pools. And when a splitter group of Jews took over Masada, when the Romans came after them, they filled those pools with water and they immersed for, for religious cleansing into those pools. You see, water's so important. It is life-giving, particularly in a dry land. You got to have it. And when you have an abundance of it, and you can just plunge into the water. It's an astonishing thing for the nomad who walks through the desert every day to find this much water and plunged into it. It's an abundance. You've got water, you've got John, and you've got Jesus. Now, Jesus is different. John said, I baptize with water. But one is coming after me more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his, fleshing, his threshing floor. He will gather up the grain in the storehouses and he will take the chaff and it will be burned with unquenchable fire. And John talks about the one who is going to come, who is after him, who is more important than him. And he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. John built up this expectation that somebody was going to come out there by the Jordan River preaching with such fire and the crowds coming. People were saying, I wonder if he's the one. And John insisted, no, I'm not the one. And when Jesus came, he pointed to him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the Father told John that whoever he saw the Spirit descend upon, that was the one. And John at Jesus' insistence, baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And you'll remember the Gospels say how the Spirit, like a dove, descended from heaven and came down and lit on Jesus after that baptism. That's how John knew he's the one. He's the one. John prepared the way. He talked about the way. He pointed to the way. But he wasn't the way. Jesus is the way. Amen. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. And, and when the disciples tried to struggle for a name after Jesus left, they said, well, let's just call ourselves followers of the way. Well, who's the way? The way is Jesus. That's who's the way. Amen. See, you have Jesus who comes not like John. John came neither eating nor drinking with an austerity about his ministry. They, they thought he was crazy. He has a demon or something. Jesus came eating and drinking, and they said of him, he's a glutton and a drunkard. They lambasted them both and libeled them both, but they were very different. The scripture says the law came through Moses and in a way the law continued to come through John the Baptist. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here we have this grace about this one 
who walks with a kind of majesty and speaks with a kind of inspiration. People hang on every word. This is the one. John builds the expectation, and then he points to Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. John baptizes with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Spirit. So you have Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, out of his inner being will flow a river of living water. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I am come they might, that they might have life and might have it to the full, might have it abundantly, might have it like a big vat of water in a desert where you plunge under. I'm going to give you abundant life. So when he meets the woman at the well... He says to her, hey, could I have a drink? They're just at a well, just like that well in the pecan bottom when I was a boy. And the woman says, what are you doing? A Jewish man asking me for a drink, a woman of Samaria. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You'd ask him, and he would give you living water. She says, whoa. How are you going to get this living water? You don't have anything to draw with. And this well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who dug us this well and drank from himself and his sons and his animals? Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. John and water baptism, it's just water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give you will never thirst. The water I give you, Jesus said, will be in you a spring of water welling up to everlasting life. And the woman said, give me this water. This is what I want. This is what I need. This well in me, give it to me. It's what you want. It's what you need. It's the place you need to live. It's the point of your transformation. It's how you can see the world in a different way. This living water that Jesus wants to give you, it's a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being plunged into the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your arms, your legs, plunged into the Holy Spirit, your intellect, your volition, plunged into the Holy Spirit, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that you live in a brand new context every day. You get up in the morning, and you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're dripping wet from Him with, from head to foot. And the whole world looks different for you, glistening with the Holy Spirit, God's presence in your life. It is transformational. It changes how you see the world, and see your wife, and see your children, and see your neighbor, and see yourself. And it is fundamental transformation. 
fundamentally changed. A boy I know from, when, from way back in Texas when I was a pastor there is now a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern Mississippi. His name is Joel, and he posted yesterday on Facebook. He said, I really wish that human cognition could either prove, and then in parentheses, or disprove the existence of God. He said, because in a way, human cognition is all we've got. And I thought about the scientist Francis Collins, who was president of the Human Genome Society and helped for 12 years map the DNA of humans. He wrote a book called The Language of God, in which he said, there are different ways of knowing things. Not everything can be put in a test tube. Some things are true, though maybe you cannot comprehend them or put your arms around them. You can live in a spiritual desert of secularism, denial, atheism, and reduce all of life to just math. Or you can say, no, there's more to me and more to the world than what you can just see or comprehend. And you confess with humility that everything I understand is the tip of a pin in the sea of knowledge that I still do not know. And I am humble enough to say that if I were to ever know the God who made me, he would have to come and show himself to me and reveal himself to me. And the scripture says that Jesus was revealed unto John in his baptism. And God's intention was to reveal himself to the world in the one, Jesus, who would then change our perception of reality and our perception of the world by plunging us into the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit was not only all around us, but even living in us and our vocabulary, our understanding, how we approach life. Everything would change with the Holy Spirit's residence in our hearts. That's where God is taking us, and it is a place of transformation. You get there through faith, believing that God who made you has acted through the centuries and finally in Jesus of Nazareth to unveil his purpose and his nature. And he has rescued us through the death of his son upon the cross. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for the rain. Lord, you said that the coming of the Spirit was like what the prophet Joel said, the former rain and the latter rain. I will pour out my Spirit like rain upon my people. 
Lord, we pray that you will do that even now, even here, that, Lord, you will take us from the place that is dry and dead to the place that is full of life and joy because truth abides in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who struggle with committing their life to Christ, that today you would bring them to a point of decision, that they would step out in faith to trust you. I pray for those who have already done so but never been baptized in, a, in the water as a symbol of their baptism in the Spirit. God, that they will come public with what you have done in their lives. Lord, that you will gather us together as your people and help us respond to you in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.